Oh, yeah. This is side B. We have turned the record over, and this would be part two of my conversation with Mr. Jeff Becker of Dry Bones, Raft of Dead Monkeys, 90-pound wuss, suffering in the hideous thieves... The front man and lead vocals for this song, Something Must Break. 90 pound wuss, here it is. Kick this thing out. First in Mars Hill wasn't a part of Christian culture, it was outside the norm. Yeah. And then it became the norm. Then it became mainstream, right? John just didn't want to be on Tooth and Nail anymore. John was like, I don't want anything to do with the Christian music industry. I don't want to be on whether you know we're saved from sin or this or that thing. Like it doesn't matter. I, I still sin. Am I saved from sin? Like, well, it depends what you mean by it. I have no freaking clue. Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> right. All I know is that I do the same things day in and day out. Like, I go to work. I, I wake up. I go to work. I eat food. I drink water. I do these things. I make good decisions. I make bad decisions. I'm an asshole sometimes. I do stupid stuff. I, I view people in the wrong ways. I view people in the right ways. I, I'm, I'm nice. I'm, I'm mean. I'm like, I'm a human being. Like, right. that's it. So there was an early incarnation of a band I was in that was playing worship music at Mars Hill called Dry Bones. Right. It wasn't D-R-Y-B-N-Z. It was like the Valley of Dry Bones from Ezekiel. And I just thought it would be really cool if we came up with, if we, I used that as a, this band name. because And we came up with the idea of just D-R-Y-B-N-Z. You, you did a song after the, the fall of Mars Hill with Dry Bones uh-huh. that kind of went viral. Your relationship with Mark or the church or... Yeah, so I, 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 during Suffering in the Hideous Thieves, Raft of Dead Monkeys, and even the end of 90 Pound Wuss, I was attending Mars Hill Church and started going because me and Matt both wanted to go to a place, a church, because we hadn't been for a while and we discovered it and we liked it. And we liked a lot of things about Mark and a lot of things about the place and so we just stayed there for a long time. But yeah, I, I felt duped and that song is um, um, Dark Days is what it's called. Yeah. And it's... Um, it's basically me being duped. Like, I feel like I was duped. It was me being honest, confronting how I felt about that scenario. And I felt right. like I was ripped off by Mark and, and, and the ideals that he expressed about uh, gender specifically and sexuality was yeah. really destructive on my, my, my life with my wife. Yes, there will be more uh, from Jeff on his music experience. Is really one of the beautiful things I love about these kinds of conversations with guys like Jeff. The following is the song Jeff just referred to. And listen, I know what some of you may be thinking. And no, this episode is not all about our former famous church implosion here in Seattle. Uh, But this is the heart of an artist, and this became like an anthem for some of the pain we were going through at the time. Relational pain. A lot of us who felt like outcasts and people that didn't fit into most, you know, kind of Christian culture or church culture felt like they found a home at Mars Hill Church. And when it toppled over like an egotistical Jenga puzzle, it hurt a lot of us. And a lot of us really identified with this tune. 
especially men. Uh, I did. And here's uh, here's Jeff and Dry Bones. Currently on our Facebook page, Punk Theology Pub, there's a link to the Dry Bones Band Camp, where you can support Dry Bones, see some of the merch, download the music. Again, this is Dark Days by Dry Bones. It's hard just making it through dark days. It's hard just making it through these days. We don't trust in you. Followed after your vision. Chase your dreams, buying into eternity. Bitches, us against them, dished up in real estate. And what we thought it meant to be men. It's hard just making it through dark days. 
Yes, that is Dry Bones. And again, our Facebook page, uh, you could search for that under Punk Theology Pub on Facebook. Or do a Google search of Dry Bones Bandcamp. You could do that too. To lighten things up a little bit now, uh, in case you missed part one of this conversation, here's some clips of what you may have missed if you hadn't heard it all the way through. And you weren't always received well by Christians either. No, no, we were kicked off of stages, we were uh, prayed over, people tried to cast demons out of us. <laughs> Tell one of those stories. You had somebody try to cast demons out of you? At a yeah, church we were in Texas at a church. Yeah, because I believe in equality for all people. Um, regardless of your sex, regardless of your sexual orientation, your gender, your... Um, yeah, all of them. Like, your race, your religion. Yeah. Those things aren't what it means to be human. Those are an aspect of personal belief, which is part of something that it means to be human. Well, the first tour we did nationally was with MXPX, and that was great. We played a lot of Christian shows then still, but um, a lot of just regular venues. And MXPX had just come out with Teenage Politics. So we were on, I think, the Teenage Politics tour is, I think, what we were on with them. We got to be really good friends, and they're they're like because they were playing pop punk instead of like crust punk and hardcore punk. So all the punks were like, eh, they're too poppy. But yet all the young kids who were into, um, you know, Green Day and Rancid because they were just getting real popular at those same times were. Um, right. They were all into it, and so right. that's just what I always liked yeah. the whole time. And they were really good at that. Like they have some songs that are just bitching, especially live. Like yeah. live, they got so much energy. And I mean, and dude, it's cool that Mike's got to be a punk his whole life. Like that's yeah. what he does for a living is just be a punk guy. Like that's pretty freaking awesome. Yeah, but it's he's cool still a punk guy somebody. doing it twenty no, years. Yeah, later. he is. He's great. He's, yeah. he's really nice. Jealousy thoughts. We didn't even get to dry bones or wrapped it in monkeys much after the beginning. Or <laughs> suffering in the hideous thieves. We didn't touch on any of that. Yeah, let's do that. Ninety pound west was the beginning. Right. So after that, you know, roadside monument and ninety pound wuss by the end. So John had John Spaulding was our new guitar player. We recorded one record as me, Marty, and John Spaulding. And Matt was our bass player at that time. Matt Johnson, who was at the drummer of Roadside Monument. Right. And Blenderhead and Don't Know. And he played with Starflyer 59. And he played with Staves Acre. And, you know, he, he was a like mad machine of drums in those days. But um, he, he, he played bass in our band. And then Marty had to quit. Marty... Uh, I think I had three kids probably by that time. And uh, yeah, he definitely needed to quit. He couldn't tour. He couldn't do that stuff. He was bummed, so he recorded the last. How come he quit? Just doing live or yeah, yeah, he couldn't, man. He needed to. He had a pretty decent job, and we weren't doing as much. But it was really hard for him to. He still lives in Port Angeles, and it was hard for him to come over to Seattle and play shows when we played shows and all that. Like, he was just losing it. I mean, he was married and had three kids, and like, yeah, that was hard for him. So he quit, and so Matt, Matt moved to drums. Okay. And we had a tour booked, and we got this guy who was in that band and list with John originally, named Brian Trimble, and he played bass on that tour with us. And uh, um, 
So the record was recorded as a three. That was our last tour. That was it. Joshua came with us. It was a really rough. What tour. year was it? Ninety nine. Ninety nine. Was it? Nine? Yeah, it was nineteen ninety nine. And we went on tour. I was getting married that fall, so came back, um, broke up, and the reason why. So here's the thing: is we didn't necessarily have to break up. John just didn't want to be on Tooth and Nail anymore. John was like, I don't want anything to do with the Christian music industry. I don't want to be on. And right. I knew that nobody would sign us. Right. Like it would be a lot of work to do what we were doing, not attached to Tooth and Nail. Yeah, it would be really hard, and nobody's gonna sign us to their label because we're doing this weird thing that doesn't make sense, and it's still, it's like not as cool as the new emo and indie rock and hardcore stuff because we were still, you know, associated with Tooth and Nail, and we we're still kind of like playing that like fast skate punk uh-huh. still and so and then we weren't nearly as like poppy or anything to be on any other like labels from California or whatever because they were all pop punk bands pretty right. much you didn't sound like good Charlotte no we didn't sound like any of that stuff and right. so I just without trying basically put the flag down so let's just be done and we had already started playing Raft of Dead Monkeys right because it was harder than and Raft of Dead Monkeys wasn't signed to anything no we had you're a, on YouTube that's the only guy I could find Raft of uh, Dead Monkeys too it's on, on Bandcamp on Bandcamp okay I put it up there on a, the two albums that we have um, okay there's one third album that was our second record that never got released so our first EP and then our last full length got released but the middle one never did Right. Probably for the better. It was called Joey the Pig Fucker. <laughs> Joey the Pig Fucker. <laughs> so basically, we started Raft basically out of like a joke. Uh-huh. And um, and Ra- Raft of Dead Monkeys is an Adam Sandler skit. It's from an Adam Sandler skit. Yeah. From Saturday Night Live. Yeah, where he's uh, I can't remember the other actor, but uh, Adam Sandler and this other guy are basically pirates, uh-huh. and they're in this uh, gentleman's home with two like teenage daughters, and they're the guys. Kind coming over to pick up the two teenage daughters to go out on a date but they're literally pirates and they're like talking to the dad oh yeah Willick and everything's a stupid innuendo and like gross as hell and everything and then Adam Sandler just all of a sudden goes once we sailed away on a raft of dead monkeys it started to stink we had to turn back like that was it and Matt it was Matt's idea Matt thought dude we should call it raft of dead monkeys that's awesome so it was Matt's idea Matt, and we thought it was funny and actually at the beginning it was hypothetically Damien Gerardo was in the band he, he was our neighbor for a while hypothetically it was Damien Gerardo Jonathan Ford me, Doug and Matt and there was no Spalding John Spalding in it and then I don't think there was even a, a, a Doug at first I think it was Jonathan but Damien never showed up so he never was in the band and um, we played a show once where John Jonathan was on bass it was basically roadside with me was it no I played bass and Jonathan sang that's how it went and that's where we got kill the motherfucker for the sake of shit that, that was that song and then I think Vancouver before Christ was written there right uh, in that BC, time Vancouver. so yeah so we had those yeah. we had those two songs and then all the other ones we're gonna fight the CIA and the United States of Kiss My Ass and, and The Divorce and those songs from our first EP they started being developed and John joined just kind of showed up to practice one day and just started playing 
playing with us, and that was that. Nobody really asked him. It was it was kind of awesome actually, because right. he was our friend, and so he just showed up and started doing it, and it, it was it was fun. It turned out way better. I'm glad he did. It was kind of funny though, because he just showed up. It was right. I don't remember how it worked. Maybe I mentioned he should come, but I remember it. Just John was there. Okay, well, John, Doug, and Matt, and me. Okay, and so Nanny, <laughs> I think. Ninety Pound Wuss was still playing some shows. Yeah, we played one show that was Raft and Ninety Pound Wuss on the same bill. Oh, and uh, it was one of the later, like last night. So you opened for yourself, or? Yeah, but yeah, well, <laughs> that's how it kind of happened. It was like um, I think Doug came out and played one Ninety Pound Wuss song, and then it was Raft and Dead Monkeys. Right. But it was mainly a Ninety Pound Wuss show. Here in Seattle. Yeah, yeah, at the old Firehouse Teen Center in, in uh, Redmond, and then. We might have done another show like that, but it was pretty funny because Raft only had like five or six songs. Right. That, that first EP, whatever that was, we basically had that, and then so it was a joke. And the reason why those lyrics came up, well, first because "Kill the Motherfucker for the Sake of Shit" was definitely a Jonathan Ford thing, and I basically just copied the lyrics that he did, which was "Kill the Motherfucker for the Sake of Shit." I think, I think is that all we said? I, th- I think that's the only. That's lyric. I don't the remember. Old, I, it's been so long since I said it but all the other ones were literally we were recording the EP nobody had lyrics we hadn't done anything and I was drinking a little bit of beer and I just started spouting like we're gonna fight the sea we're gonna fight the US and just all those acronyms it all just like we were doing that and then like everything United States of kiss my ass you motherfuckers just kiss my ass all you sons of bitches fucking kiss my like that's just basically the whole thing was nonsense potty talk right and just us being idiots because we just recorded this record that had no vocals and we needed vocals right nothing was thought out nothing was was written down it was dumb that is very that's most of the songs that's how that first EP was right and then that's not a green day thing no it's not a green day thing so we just basically roadside and 90 pound just basically became raft right and then by our last record it was much more artistic Matt had quit and Davey the last drummer joined and um then we broke up because we were starting to go somewhere. We had just played the showbox, like on this bill with a bunch of larger bands, and there was talk about us maybe going on tour with a as bigger Raft? band at the time. Yeah, as Raft, okay. a bigger time. So we were like, Raft was like the most popularly local band that I've ever been in, probably. Wow. And um, right as we were starting to probably gonna like a lot of our peers that we were playing shows with at that time that liked us, they all got really popular. Uh-huh. And so we probably would have ju- played some tours with those bands, and it's possible that we could have too. But anyways, I'd just gotten married, and um, I'd been married a year, maybe a little more, right. probably a year, and and I just felt um, that I was at a crossroads. And I also started doing suffering in the hideous thieves because Raft was basically always a fight between me, Spalding, and John Spalding and Doug Lorig, always a fight about how we were going to mostly John with everything 
everybody. Right? But we would fight about what, how the songs would go, and it was a pain in the ass. So I could never write anything and then bring it to the band anymore and have it be my song. It was suddenly all of our songs. That's a magical thing, and I, I, I regret that. Uh, well, no, I don't regret. I started. I started suffering in the hideous thieves because of that. Okay, so that was your kind of solo thing, right? Suffering in the hideous thieves was my songs that I wrote, right. and I asked certain people to play it on those records with me, uh-huh. and it became a band, and we started playing live. And I just asked people to play on it that I knew, so I'd bring a basic structure, and they'd write all their parts around it, and we'd have the song. And this um, stuff is on Bandcamp. Suffering in the hideous thieves, you can stream it, but it's not on Bandcamp. Okay. Um, Raft is on Bandcamp. Ninety pound loose is not, but um, Dry Bones is D R Y B N Z, which is the latest band that's on Bandcamp. Right. Um, I still do that to this day. I'm actually gonna. We're working on finishing our record. That's probably been in the works for two or three years. Right on. So maybe more. Maybe four. <laughs> it's been a while. Right. So, but the stuff on Bandcamp is like most of it. Right. Right. Um, unmastered. Right. Anyway. Suppose we come back to you in uh, in uh, just a moment or two. This here track is called New Ness. To hear this and many other songs in their entirety, check out DRYBNZ on Bandcamp. You're listening to Dry Bonds on Punk Theology. Suffering in the hideous thieves, me, Jeff, suffering, and the hideous thieves. Right. So, and who were the hideous thieves? A bunch of people. There was like twenty or thirty people in that band. Oh wow. At different times. So, um, it started. Uh, the Did first. Did you have to pay, pay these folks, or they just no, kind of came along? They were my friends. Part of your friends. I knew. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, there's been people who were in the Blood Brothers, people in Minus the Bear, people from a band called the Prom. That some people played with John Vanderslice for a while. Uh, who else? Uh, this gal who played in that band Mum for a little bit. Uh, Seth Warren, who he was the only constant. He was in there from the beginning to the end. He played violin, and uh, a lot of different people were in and out of that band. Violin. Yeah, suffering in the hideous thieves was uh, two guitars, bass, drums. Uh, piano, violin, and at the beginning, cello as well. Oh, nice. So we were, and then I just sang. So I'd present these songs, and then everybody would craft their stuff. And, uh, and this was punk? Just kind of. To me, it's all punk, so whatever. <laughs> right. but, uh, this sounds yeah. influenced definitely my influences from uh, Nick Cave, Tom Waits in that band, and uh, like uh, um, Swans, um, uh, some Bauhaus influence definitely. In there like it was that side of me right. uh, that had progressed from like goth to something a little bit more or this was before Arcade Fire 2 came out and we were doing that string stuff okay. so we had 
Um, and shortly thereafter, not I'll string fired. stuff like Dropkick Murphys string stuff, but string stuff. No, like we didn't sound like Dropkick Murphys no. at all. No. Okay. Uh, Dropkick Murphys are a good punk band. So we, most punk purists would not consider Suffering in the Hideous Thieves a punk band. Okay. I, indie rock with right. a goth tinge maybe or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... What is, was it Was it all written out or was it improv? Did you... No, they'd write their own parts okay. and we'd sort of work on it together. After, right, right. I just bring a song that I wrote on guitar mostly but acoustic mostly. Okay. So there was an acoustic guitar player and an electric guitar player. Later, two electric guitar players but um, yeah early on it was acoustic guitar and electric guitar and so it was sort of the thing of pseudo folk um, kind of folky thing uh, first kind of in my head but it never re- we never played it that way right. but that's how I'd start writing the songs on like an acoustic guitar most of them right. and I'd, I'd worked through a lot like there was a lot of stuff that I had written um, that didn't fit even stuff I was working on for, on that last night pound wuss record that never seemed to fit uh-huh. I had saved and started using for this like I think one of the first songs I wrote was All My Friends Are on Prozac was one of the first <laughs> suffering songs uh-huh. and then like uh Later, you know, I got a little more bold and, and for that first record and wrote my Blackheart uh, Infection. And uh, I think Lonely Tonight sort of appeared in the theater. or in, We were recording in the Paradox Theater at that time. Right. So that's where we recorded that record because I was working there and Mars Hill was doing that thing. Right. So All Ages Venue and we basically recorded on off hours in that space so it sounded great for like a, a bunch of people that had no idea of what the fuck they were doing right. uh, Joel who was recalled, this in Ballard or was this before this, Ballard this was way before Ballard this okay. was in the U District out of oh, theater right. space though yeah. okay um, and so uh, that's where the paradox was known right for that theater anyways yeah, yeah. so Suffering in the Hideous Thieves by the end the last record that we did is called Ashamed it was more of a band and a lot of members had changed Seth was still in the band and that band that most of those songs were written by somebody else in that band other than me the music was half of them were written by me well maybe maybe a little maybe a third of them were written by me like the other records but that one was definitely a full band as far as the writing of the main structure of the song and stuff that one was more or less them bringing riffs and me crafting and sort of telling them to put this here and that there based off of what they were playing basically and how many times right. so um, the other the other albums there was some songs here and there that were written by a few other people but for the most part the majority the first record was all songs I brought to the table the second record there was a few that like Evan wrote um, well, uh, the second record's Rats in Heaven and it's a big concept record and it ends with this huge version of Amazing Grace with all that that starts really big and gets really really small to just my voice almost whispering in tears uh, and so that one's a huge big epic thing on this cue I'll be back in a minute this is Baby Shake by Suffering and the Hideous Thieves to hear this and many other songs in their entirety. Search Suffering in the Hideous Thieves on Bandcamp.
So you're recording uh, this music with Suffering in the Hades Thieves? Yeah, with friends. friends. Yeah. Right. Friends. Uh, How long did that go for? That was the band that I did uh, up until 2005 was our last release. We did three full lengths. Um, Real Panic formed. Rats in Heaven and Ashamed. And then we did a couple of seven inches and like splits, one with Rocky Votolato and one with uh, a band called Discovering America, who's Chris Staples. Um, and then uh, we did an EP. Okay. Um, with uh, it was an EP split split double EP, so two CDs. Nothing was pressed on vinyl. Everything was always on. CD, unfortunately, but it's digital. You can get all of it. But um, was that through a label or did you? Oh uh, yeah, my uh, friend Eric started a record label. He contacted me about putting out music because he liked my music growing uh-huh. up, and um, so yeah, he put those out. Yeah, he put all those out. Oh, cool. Um, Velvet Blue Music also put out. I think Velvet Blue Music actually did the first. Yeah, did the first release of Real Panic Formed. And I probably burned that bridge. I think I, I don't know what happened, but um, speaking of vinyl, they did uh, ninety pound wuss is all on vinyl now. Ninety right? pound wuss, you can get it on vinyl. It was on vinyl. The, each one came out originally on vinyl. Oh wow! The first one came out on cassette too. That was the only one on cassette. So the first one was on vinyl, CD, and cassette. Was there a picture No, but we had a colored vinyl. Oh, okay. Maybe that's what I'm thinking about. You were showing me the the records that you're playing. Tooth & Nail put out the two vinyl, the first two, and then a label called Sign Language Records, which was my friend Nick, put out um, the uh, um, third record on Tooth & Nail. He put out the vinyl version. Okay. So that one, I still have a half a box left of, maybe, on vinyl. But, um... The, uh, that's my favorite record that I've ever done of anything oh, that no. I've ever made is that last 90 pound most record shorthand operation I, I don't know if I'll ever make anything as good right. it was it was. don't get me wrong I like everything else I've done too like post the first 90 pound most record is the one that's most embarrassing for me. really? <laughs> yeah that one's pretty embarrassing uh, uh-huh. and the second one's embarrassing in the way that the sound rec- the recordings crap um and it just didn't do the band justice. I don't think. I don't think the producer did a great job. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not. Wasn't had a satisfied with his work on that album. But um, the third one, exactly. I, I Steve Kravak recorded it. I don't think he could have done. He produced the thing. I, I don't. Nobody could have done it better. It was exactly what I wanted. He was looking to do a few more things artistic than what he was necessarily in his wheelhouse. And I said, pretend you're Martin Hannett. And we'll do it. Martin Hannett's the guy who made the Joy Division records. Um, so, I basically, we were like a speed punk band that wanted to sound like Joy Division, like right. I said. Like, literally, I right. wanted that record to sound like Joy Division. So, Dry Bones, where did that, where did that uh, get birthed out of? So, after, like, all during Suffering in the Hideous Thieves and Parts of Raft, I was playing music at Mars Hill in a band called Team Strike Force. Team Strike Force, and I remember that. we a lot of songs. Apparently, somebody just texted me the other day, and they played one of our songs at their church so oh, uh, apparently people are but we more so early on started putting them out for free and we played a lot and I thought we were pretty pretty decent and um, I hadn't done anything like that before and eventually like we get replaced because we weren't obviously like good enough to hold the, the quality that they ended up having later right. we were too ruckus we did our own thing we wrote our own songs and 
we didn't really care if they were sing-alongable. And then later they started to want to make... Anyways, right. it was fun. It was with my friends. and So that's mostly what I did for music for years after Suffering broke up in 2005. Okay. I, I, I think Strike Force was probably done around the same time. I stopped playing all music. Um, or at least I quit Strike Force, and then sometimes I'd play in bands at church, other bands, various bands here and there. Right. And that was it, you know. And then when Marsville started falling apart, when, when was it now? 2013 or 14? 2013 is when. Okay, that was. It was 2012, I think it really started getting bad. Yeah, but the the end. So anyway, I was left. Four- in, I left in 2012, a okay. year before. So if yeah. it was 14, it would have been sometime early, late 2012, probably. November 14 is when I the think whole thing it, So then I think it was like November or October of 2012 I had left. And my friend Joe from Oregon contacted me. He does a band. Um, he does a few bands, actually, but he's known as Rattlehawk. It's it's on. You can stream it on Google or on uh, Bandcamp or whatever. But Rattlehawk, really cool stuff. And he sent me some songs that he wasn't using for Rattlehawk and asked me if I could put vocals to him and we could do a band. Basically, we started collaborating back and forth, and it turned into. D-R-Y-B-N-Z, which Dry Bones was also a name that was thought of by some people at Mars Hill as a worship band. Uh, and I asked them if I could use the name for a worship band at one point. So there was an early incarnation of a band I was in that was playing worship music at Mars Hill called Dry Bones. Right. It wasn't D-R-Y-B-N-Z. It was like the Valley of Dry Bones from Ezekiel. Yeah. And I just thought it would be really cool if we came up with, if we, I used that as a, this band name, because this... And we came up with the idea of just D-R-Y-B-N-C. I don't remember if it was Joe or me or how, but um, one of us. And Joe's the aesthetic person. He's a designer. So he's got the whole aesthetic, and it's the best, most cohesive band brand and aesthetic that I've ever been a part of. It freaking looks awesome. Every piece of artwork for each single and and our shirts and everything, they look so good to me. And... uh, he sent me these awesome tracks that were like these weird things going on that were hard to decipher in a, a little bit uh-huh. and um, and and we decided to come up with a way of doing it and so our creative process is literally he'll send me a waveform I won't think about it other than listen to it once or twice and maybe think about it in my head but not plan anything the day I go into the studio is the day that everything happens so that's the day I write lyrics that's the way I do everything sort of um Sort of like that Raft of Dead Monkeys album. Right. Very um, spontaneous. Yeah. So the whole thing is couched in being spontaneous. So when I put bass lines down to it or add a drums or guitar or whatever to Dry Bones music, it's it's because that's what was going on in my head and heart at that time, in that moment. It's very about being present. And then we make it and we've been posting them, but we're going to we're gonna do a full length pretty soon. We're almost done. We've been saying that for years. And, All right. Now I have somebody who's got some dates for me to go in the studio and finish that. So hopefully it'll be up on Bandcamp. I've asked a few folks around like that I know if they might be interested in putting it out or something, meaning that there would be uh, more of an audience to get distributed by or something. Right. So I've asked the guys in Bad Christian if they'd be interested. I don't know if they will. They haven't gotten back to me yet. But, um, they may or may not be. I, I, it's not like we're being signed or quartered or anything. Right. I just asked them because I know them. Yeah, yeah. And, and they've done some back. independent stuff with their own. Yeah, and I haven't heard back yet. So yeah. I, I doubt it. It's more of a thing of if we could get it in the hands of more people, that would be great. But yeah. if we can't, 
we'll release all of our stuff anyway somehow sometime yeah, yeah. You you did a song after the the fall of Mars Hill with Dry Bones uh-huh. that kind of went viral. Yeah, I remember when the thing yeah. was was starting to crumble. At, <laughs> that tune went went pretty viral. Where did where did that come from? Is that there's a lot of feelings about your relationship with Mark or the church or? Yeah, so I I, I during suffering in the hideous thieves raft of dead monkeys and even the end of ninety pound wuss I was attending Mars Hill Church and started going because me and Matt both wanted to go to a place. A church because we hadn't been for a while and we discovered it and we liked it and we liked a lot of things about Mark and a lot of things about the place and so we just stayed there for a long time but yeah I, I felt duped and that song is um, um, Dark Days is what it's called yeah and it's um, it's basically me being duped like I feel like I was duped it was me being honest confronting how I felt about that scenario and I felt right. like I was ripped off by Mark and, and, and the ideals that he expressed about uh, gender specifically and sexuality was yeah. really destructive on my, my my life with my wife. I mean, I'm surprised she's still with me. And, and, you know, I, I used the Bible to lord over and be an authoritarian prick. And uh, I believed a narrative that somebody had preached to me and it's not their fault I believed it. It's not their fault I believed it. It's mine. I got duped. I believed it. Yeah. But I lived in such a way that wasn't me, and it was constantly trying to fit in to prove something to God or to be accepted by God. As much as they preach grace there, like I don't think I got it for a long time. Yeah. I think I lost it is what happened. Yeah. I think I understood grace, and then I lost it yeah. for legalism and theology. Yeah. And I think religion. it started out very much with grace and then kind of devolved as Mark started hanging out with guys like John Piper. You yeah, know. maybe, but... You know, I don't know. It seemed to, it seemed to I start don't know if it ever did. way, and it just felt like it. But it wasn't even Marcel, just in... I'm talking as a Christian, like, I, yeah. I understood what it meant to be a misfit. I never fit in. Yeah. That's, that's the Christianity I knew, and so suddenly to become something that was cultural influential and all this bullshit, like... It is what it is. We didn't help the fact that it became Christian culture because what we were doing at first in Mars Hill wasn't a part of Christian culture. It was outside the norm. Yeah. And then it became the norm. And it became mainstream. We were right. But there was also so many changes in there that belittled the... I think they really did use the back of artists to build something and they did a good job of doing it and they used a lot of people to get uh, a platform for Mark Driscoll. Um... It wasn't. It, at first, it always. It, it used to feel like it was. Oh, he's such an orator and such a great um, um, rhetorical preacher. And like, he certainly has a but, gift for communication and what he was doing. But yeah, but it's not that special. Like yeah. other people do too. Exactly. And other people's are better. Yeah. And he was playing off of his. Um, cultural savviness and ability to connect dots to things that that you might not otherwise connect dots to. So he'd connect dots using biblical references and stuff back to cultural phenomenon. And because most of it was palatable and funny, he started believing the stuff that wasn't palatable and was more serious and damaging. But he did it with a Ramones t-shirt, right? Well, I don't don't know if I ever saw him 
where a Ramones t-shirt. Maybe he has. Maybe he has. It. Right, but he he, did, but he he definitely would know who the Ramones were. Yeah. Right, and he he had a, a fundamentalist, and, and I think it grew. His addiction to religion got worse as the years went on until the whole thing. I mean, you're fell making down. tons of assumptions when you say stuff like his addiction to religion. I don't know anything about what his deal is. Right, because he duped me, so I have no idea what he's into. Right. I don't know if he's a Christian. I don't know if he just wants to build a platform. Want money? Don't know if, business of religion? I yeah, no, I don't either. I don't either. No idea yeah. what it's about. I can't figure it out. Is there a, is there a Christian culture for guys like like you and I, Jeff? That's one of the big questions that's well, out there. Is. Yeah, you think so? But we can't just roll into a place and feel at home. Like I feel, I, I think that's you and I sure. track a lot with that. You, you probably can't go to a, a regular church, right? And feel at home, but yeah, there's plenty of places. I guess I, I sniff. Maybe it's the Mars Hill thing, but I sniff agenda, man, and I'm just. Well, I wouldn't show up at a traditional place of worship if that's it. Right. No, there's there's lots of places. It just doesn't exist in in the norms, and uh, you know, like all the Christian anarchists I know, they don't they don't really like to be on cell phones and Facebook and stuff. Some of them do, but right. for the most part, that group of people is, you know, you got to be present with them, otherwise. Um, you won't be there and there's a connection I mean I'm connected to a couple of different groups on Facebook and I talk to a few people sometimes but they're scattered all over the country but they yeah. exist yeah. they're there yeah. there's a lot of them in San Francisco and quite a few uh, in Minneapolis actually of all places yeah yeah it's interesting so there, there's there's these things that um, there's pockets all over right. they're, they're there yeah. they're just um most people don't really want to organize so much, it seems, these days with something. It used to be more trendy to start like a house church or like a... a there used to be more desire for it. It seems like it's, there's really not anymore. Yeah. Most people... I think... You're but a part of that... Orga- or, uh, what is it? The organic church movements? I think I've seen you on there. I think Facebook I'm, I'm group. on the Facebook group, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's something interesting going on Do I actually do anything? No. <laughs> do I even read half of the stuff? No. <laughs> I found it interesting at some point, so I joined the group. Yeah. I still find some of it interesting, but some of it's some of it's hard. My like, there's people thing, in there trying to... Actually, I really like the, uh, the deconstructionist one, the uh, um, Peter Rowland shit. The, uh, yeah. Yeah. What was it called? There was a, there's a group on Facebook. It's called uh, Atheism for Lent. No, no. He does that for Lent. Something about year. pyro burning. Oh, pyro theology. Yeah. Pyro theology. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. The pyro theology group. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. I'm also in another one called Hipster Orthodox Coffee Hour. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Those people are funny. Yeah. It's great because they got a sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You take it a little light. But I, I like the uh, uh, the pyro theology thing's really interesting. It's it's beyond my capacity for um, intellect. It's pretty intellectual yeah. shit. That's like really philosophically out there and lots of stuff going around that to me is always interesting and I just don't have the time and patience anymore to think of anything real deep like uh, about theological things I like the mystery yeah. the mystery means I don't have to figure it out the mystery means I don't have to theologize the mystery right. is I don't even have to have a box for it or a context because I already do it's called the mystery and everything can fit in it yeah. so yeah. whatever it is it is and I see theology really is kind of the relationship and philosophy is, is that kind of open box or the mystery and people are trying to use philosophize to figure things out but at the end of the day it's it's somewhere between love and 
what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. 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 yeah I just don't care about it anymore. <laughs> I, I went to this. One of the best things I did when I was in Alaska at White Raven was I had an experience that was literally, I felt the first time in a long time where I felt like God speaking to me, which I felt plenty uh-huh. in a way, whether it's reality or not, I don't know, it could be my head, but it doesn't matter. Like, right. I felt something profound and it was literally like to, to basically lay at the feet of Christ my Christianity. Nice. There's something beautiful about that. Yeah. So that was giving up your beliefs, right? Laying your beliefs down. I didn't exactly know what it meant, but I I felt the burden lifted and I felt lightened to do it. So I don't I don't have to be like I would if somebody asks, you know, religious preference or whatever, I'm a Christian. Like, that's fine. I don't, right. I don't, I don't care. Right. That's fine. Yeah. I, I definitely judge I, me. You could call it like you, whatever. Well, it's mo- <laughs> it's mostly that. I, I, yeah, I, I just it is what it is. I don't. I'm not afraid of using that tagline or whatever. Like, yeah. I just don't have a. I think it was basically Jesus saying, lay down my religion, lay down Christianity. I don't need, he's he's like, I'm not a Christian, I I, I don't, I don't, you don't need that, you need me. That was it. And it was liberating and free. And I don't know, so that's when I basically was done with trying to find a church or anything. I I didn't need it anymore. I don't need it. Like, it's not... I have my faith not because I believe or or need it. Like, I don't I don't know what I believe about most things, but but I have faith. Yeah. And what is that faith in? It's not some just nebulous God. It's actually that Jesus Christ is God. Like I have faith, meaning that whether I believe it or not, at any given moment, I definitely deep down believe it all the time. Right. So, uh, I shouldn't even say believe it. I know it. Like, I know it. You like, know it like, and you know I, it. I know it like right. reading. Like, I know yeah. it. So it doesn't matter, like, whether somebody else, like, I don't have to have a statement of faith. Like, yeah. what's that? It just is. It is. Yeah. It just is. And since it just is, the ramifications are very mysterious. I don't know what it accomplished. I think Christ and God incarnate in Christ accomplished everything that it meant to accomplish. Yeah. What is that? Well, I don't know. But certainly it's like... He loves his people so much that he would come be one of us so that we know that we have a God that empathizes and understands our plight. Right. That, that's the beautiful thing of Christianity. Everything else, whether you know we're saved from sin or this or that thing, like, it doesn't matter. I, I still sin. Am I saved from sin? Like, well, it depends what you mean by it. I have no freaking clue. Like, what does that even mean? Or all I know is that I do the same things day in and day out. Like, I go to work. I, I wake up. I go to work. I eat food. I drink water. I do these things. I make good decisions I make bad decisions I'm an asshole sometimes I do stupid stuff I, I view people in the wrong ways I view people in the right ways I, I'm, I'm nice I'm, I'm mean I'm like I'm a human being like right. that's it certainly certainly that's 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 a fact yeah the human paradox yeah. and certainly if God became human which I know and how I know it doesn't matter whether you know it or not like yeah. 
I don't even have to prove to somebody that I know it. It doesn't yeah. matter to me. I just know it. Yeah. So if I believe you that, you have to like, shove it down someone's throat. Or? I live the, my life now as yeah. if I believe that, which also as if I believe the mystery of that, which I don't know what it accomplished. Like, there's no words in the Bible for substitutionary atonement, really. Like, yeah, like no. th- that's like that's like a made-up sort of theological expression, like based off of good educated guesses of what certain things mean. But there's a million other conclusions that people have come to. It right. doesn't matter. It's the God incarnate story that is is really fascinating for a myriad of reasons. Whatever those reasons are, right. it sure can be expounded and can be gone like yeah that's a possibility that's cool that's a possibility that's cool all I know is it happened right. and all I know is that it points to a good God that I think is a good God that I, I think empathizes and understands me as a human being yeah. and knows what I've been through particularly as a male human being because he came as a male I, yeah. I don't know you know like in but obviously God isn't male or female so I don't break that down in the same ways that everybody like God is God that is both male and female. Yeah, he isn't male and female. If there's any, re- if there's any reason he came as a dude, I think it's because that's the broken, brokenest part of humanity. Maybe, but I have no idea. <laughs> I don't so either. it doesn't matter. Like uh, human. I feel you, man. And it's like just being pursued by relentless love, and that's good enough for me. That's just good enough for me. Amen. Yeah. All right there you go. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, appreciate thank you. you, brother. Thanks for listening to Punk Theology. Don't forget to subscribe, like to join us in having more ears hear this punk sound. Please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you may hear this fucking podcast. Punk Theology is the property of Digital Audio Project, a limited liability corporation, who is responsible for its content. Thank you for listening to Punk Theology. As you drift off to sleep, your commute to work your commute home from work, or whatever the fuck you're doing. Here, the song Babylon, by Suffering and the Hideous Thieves.
number. 